This is the final uh, sermon in the King series as we've looked at the life of King Solomon uh, from beginning to end and even prior to him coming into this world. Um, looked through his life, learned some things from him, uh, from his father, from the things that he did, and some of the things he didn't do. So it is about the rise and fall of King Solomon, and we've been on an incline for a long time. And we've watched him come from a childhood adolescent up through reigning on the kingdom, on the throne, placing his mother beside of him for wise counsel and godly advice, to giving decrees and making pacts with his neighboring countries. It pays to be at peace with people. Amen? It's without a doubt, there is no arguing against it that King Solomon, when he would go to these foreign countries or diplomats from those countries would come to him, that he met them in a position of peace, that they were at peace when they met him, that there was no hostility, <laughs> there was no arrogance on his part. He just did what God told him to do was share wisdom, share insight, share understanding, and reason with people. One of the earliest trials that King Solomon ever did that we see in Scripture that proved how wise he was was when the two women came to him and had uh, an issue. Uh, they had fell asleep the night before. One of the women had rolled over on her child, and the child perished. And when that happened, she looked over at the lady beside of her, took her kid, placed her kid in that kid's place, and then they come to King Solomon to make a judgment. Whose kid is it? King Solomon makes a wise choice and tells them, you know, well, just take the kid, cut it in half, and give half of it to both of you if you both have an argument about it. And the true mom said, no, give it to her. Because she would rather see her child live even with someone else than to perish. So his judgment was that of wisdom, of understanding, and putting things in a way where even the common man could understand and see the reason behind the choices that he stated. And as these things begin to happen, and King Solomon, you know, it, it, it's amazing really for us in America, it's hard for us to understand things of kingdom mindset. And I loved it that Pastor Chris Hodges a few weeks ago down in uh, Alabama, uh, gave a sermon and talked about how that the kingdom is so much different than our democracy that we live in, so it's really hard for us to understand what a kingdom's like. And I know we watch, uh, as King Charles was just recently confirmed, and he was already king and had been acting as king for some time, but there was a procedure that had to take place and uh, systems, and he's king today. So it's really the only picture that you and I can paint in our mind of what a king is. But even if you go to England today, the monarchy is kindly, truly hard to understand for even people of Europe because they still have the House of Commons. They have these different layers of government underneath of them, and truly the king or the queen doesn't dictate every line item and have a veto on everything that's said and done. So King Solomon was the king, he was the judge, he was the jury, and he was the one in control of it all. So in God's kingdom, there's only one. Amen? There's only one in charge. And God painted it this way because the children of Israel asked for a king he set up the kingdom of Israel like the kingdom of heaven. Amen? In the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, there's only one in charge. And if you're not under his subjection, 
or if you don't place yourself under his authority and you go out in rebellion, then you're, you're your own little king, but you don't have the power and possess what he possesses. So in God's kingdom, there's only one, and guess who that is? It's God. In his kingdom, he desires for us to give our full attention to his decrees, to his word, to his statutes, to what he tells for us to do in his word. And it's as simple as that. It's his way or the highway. It's kind of the way the parents put it usually, right? My house, my rules. Is that the way you did it, Larry? My house, my rules. Wayne, you probably remember that, yeah? And come point in your life where you thought, well, I'll just go find my own house. <laughs> and then when you do that, it's all the bills come. Then you decide all of a sudden, man, I should have stayed back there. It's a lot better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a lot better back there where the bills was paid. I was going to show mom and dad that time and moved out and did it my way and ended up figuring out, man, I liked it better back there. Mom cooked. All the bills was paid. I could just do my own little thing. But it was their rules when I was under their house. And in God's kingdom, it's that way. So when we come to God's kingdom or give our lives to him, we're under his kingship. And he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, meaning that he is in control. And he's the ultimate authority in everything in our lives. It's the way it's supposed to be. It's the way it should be. And your life will be better if you give over to that ideal. And King Solomon had done that. They, he had used godly wisdom and he had used the resources that God had given him. And I'm sure there was tablets and scrolls and all these things that he had looked through that we've talked about. But as he comes in this kingdom, he builds God's temple. It's one of his biggest dreams. It was dad's dream. And he's like, if dad dreamed about it and dad longed for the day of God to have his own house, he built it. So when he built it, he gave a big ceremony, and there was days, and it took a week. that He took an entire week to just prepare for the, the opening ceremony where they was going to cut the ribbon on the new temple. And as the children of Israel come from near and far, from faraway lands even, and they come and they celebrated this new building that King Solomon had built. But then we need to turn just a few chapters over to chapter 11, and I want us to, to end this series thinking about these things. But King Solomon loved many foreign women. As well as the daughters of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sodomites, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will... Turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. As he had 700 wives. Come on now. Oh me. Princes and 300 concubines. So a concubine was like a wife that wasn't a wife. If you get my drift. And his wives turned away his heart. 700 wives, 300 concubines, and other princes. And his wives turned away his heart. Turned away his heart from what? From the one true king. Everybody has a weakness. Not everybody's weakness is the same. I think we all have Addictive personalities, it's what are we addicted to? Amen? Some are addicted to power. Some are addicted to money. Some are addicted to drugs. Some are addicted to alcohol. Some are addicted. We all have vices that we are naturally inclined to be addicted to something. It's kind of like in is it Lord of the Rings that we wouldn't watch that one goofy movie where that little alien-looking feller... Yeah, it must have been one of the cockies. <laughs> and it said the precious. Who is yes, that? We watched that movie. Yes, we did. No, we didn't. I hate Who that. am I going to watch a movie with? I'm not gonna, oh, Michael. Andrew and 
Michael. Michael, I know what. Michael. I went with my wife, Michael, down in Middlesbrough. Uh, yeah, because yeah. I've never. Yeah, we wouldn't watch that. So, and anyway, who is that? It says, my, huh? Okay. Yeah, whatever he said, Corey said. Um, my precious. So he's always looking for this precious thing, right? Then wanting to keep control of it. I don't know what my vice is. Do you know what yours is? God trusts us with things, but those things that he trusts us with, we have to be careful not to love the thing more than the God who give us the thing. Whether that's power, influence, possessions, whatever. Don't create yourself an idol above him. Chicken wings, that would be a good idol. And it's kind of hard to give them up sometimes. Whenever we ask you to fast chicken wings, it's like, I don't know. I like chicken wings. So whatever you're inclined to go after, be careful when you can feel your heart tugging at you to keep chasing something and you hear alarm bells going off in your head and in your heart saying, give back. Stop chasing after that. And because we're in human form and we're in a fallen state because on this side of glory, we are going to have battles. We are going to have situations that arise. We are going to have influences that are outside the kingdom of God. We're in a fallen world. Do you realize that? This, or you know, <clears throat> culture and society says all the time that the world's going to hell in a handbasket. It is already in hell. Because the state of hell is anything outside the presence of God. And the presence of God is always with the Christian but when you walk away from your Christianity, you can walk outside of the presence of God. Right. And evil forces are on this planet today. Amen? The Bible says in Ephesians, take up the whole armor of God, that you may withstand the evil forces, principalities, powers, things present, things you can't even see. They're here. That's the world we're living in. And as these vices... Those outside forces try to come in and cause you to act in a way contrary to what God told you to live. It's awful quiet in here. Everybody must be saying, he's talking about somebody else. He's talking to my neighbor over there. I know who they are and how they live. Maybe that's one of your vices is you worry about everybody else more than yourself. Amen or oh me, either one. But as King Solomon takes on this new role that he had finished and completed the assignment that God had given him, but that assignment wasn't meant to be finished and finalized at the point at the ribbon cutting, but it was in the continuation of the operation of the temple of God on earth. He thought he was finished when the building was done. Amen? And when he got the building all done, and he worked really hard at it. He set up. He even had hired hands. He had slaves. He had all these things. Forced labor, they called it then. And he had all this going, resources all the way around like we talked last week. And he worked really hard at getting the building built. But the goal wasn't just to build the building. The goal was to continue the process of God having a place stationed on this earth that he was going to meet with them every year. All year long, you could come up in this temple. You could walk up the steps. Everything was gold-laden. It was a beautiful place. That's why they talk about all this splendor in the New Testament because it was a beautiful place to behold. And I know we've got the seven wonders of the world and all that stuff today. This would be number one of all ones. Everybody heard about it. Everybody in the world wanted to see it, and they came from afar. But guess what happened when they come from afar? These beautiful young women come with them. What did King Solomon do? He stopped looking at the temple and started worrying about his temple. Amen? Amen? He got his eye off the prize. 
And all too often in our Christianity, I think we can learn from this, that if we get our eye off the prize, that I gave my life to God. Why? Because I needed to, because I was in a fallen state, I was in a sin-filled existence, and I knew I need something different because I'm messing things up and I need a fixer. And God fixed what I had made messes of. He gave grace to where I had made messes. And as God did this for me, I cannot take my off the prize that I owe him everything. I did nothing on my own. I don't deserve my salvation. I didn't earn my salvation. The salvation was by grace through faith. Amen. Not of works lest any man should boast. I'm not going to boast about my salvation like I did anything. You cannot earn your way into heaven. It's as simple as that. King Solomon did many works and built the temple. All these things. He did a lot of works. But that isn't what it takes. Does God want you to work? Absolutely. He wants you to do good deeds for people that don't deserve it. Amen? He wants you to go out in the highways and byways and compel them to come to the service. That's what God desires of us is to work. Nothing wrong with that. But don't depend on your works to earn your salvation. It's only through and by the blood of Jesus Christ and the acts that he did on the cross of Calvary is the only thing that will ever save you. King Solomon married all these ladies. And with those things of beauty, my precious becomes things of your demise. Bible says that beauty is fleeting in Proverbs 31. We talked about, you know, last week, you know, or a couple weeks ago, Mother's Day, right? Proverbs 31. But it says beauty is fleeting. You know, in your youth, you got, you got a lot of beauty. I, I kind of held on to mine, but some of you lost yours. But King Solomon kept marrying and marrying and marrying and marrying. And it's just unbelievable that somebody would end up with 700 wives and 300 concubines. It's like, you talk about an overindulgence. You talk about somebody addicted. Amen? That's a mess. That's a recipe for disaster. It's bad enough to get married once. I've got one good amen corner in here. All the rest of you are afraid to say it because your spouse is sitting inside of you. A bunch of chickens. Next time I'm doing stuff different. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but can you imagine what kind of life that would be in... I, I, you talk about this dumbfounded. I mean, I, I can't understand it. How big a house did this guy have? Have you ever been in a crowd of 700 people? A crowd of 700 people is a big crowd. Stand shoulder to shoulder, it's a, that's, that's a pretty good sized crowd. Can't imagine trying to take care of that many folks. But he had a big farm. A lot of cattle, sheep and all that stuff. Talks about all these other nations sending him all this stuff. Probably had to just to keep them. They turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And in the Bible, when you're reading the Bible, notice this, that there's a big G God, and then there's other times where it's wrote with a little g. Little g gods are what's on this earth. A big G God means it's talking about God, our Heavenly Father. So this is a little g. They turned his heart after other gods, little g, things of this world. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. David messed up just as much as Solomon, but his heart would always incline him to go back and repent. So it's, the deal is not to never mess up. The deal is to have a heart inclined towards God that always draws me back to repentance. Amen? Because when you get saved, I, 
we're perfected, we're justified, we're all these things, all these terms, you know, that biblical terms, that we're righteous, all these terms are placed upon us at our point of salvation. But even in that perfection, in that instant, doesn't mean you're perfected for eternity on this earth. You're perfected for eternity in eternity, but not here. Because soon enough, amen, you'll walk out those doors after giving your heart to Jesus, walk out those doors, and within a week, the devil has already come down like hell on you, crashed your world around you, you walked out here feeling like you're walking on a cloud, next thing you know, it's like, oh no, poor pitiful me, I'll just go back. He wants to turn you around because he's afraid of losing you. He knows the power you possess inside of you and the gifts and the callings that God has placed on you, and he wants to stop that. So as King Solomon goes after these other gods, he wasn't like his father David. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. Verse 5, for Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of Sidonians, and Milcom, the abomination of the Amorites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place. He got good at building during the building of the kingdom of God and the temple of God, and he learned how to build things. And he turns that around and uses it against the very person that gave him the ability to do it. God himself gave him the insight to build things. And here he is building a temple for foreign gods in a higher place than our God. Be exalted higher and higher. What is that? Where are you placing God today? Does he just get a little bitty knoll up on the side of the yard that you have and just give him a little bitty position? Or are you going to place him higher than above all things? That there's nothing going to separate me from the love of God. I give you everything. So as Solomon does this, he begins to build these high places and his wives would go out and they would just brag about and call in their other foreign countries and say, come and look what my husband's building for me and he's got me this beautiful little temple over here for my God. Little G-God. And it took away the visibility of the big G-God. What could God, Solomon's kingdom have been if he would have stayed focused? If he would have stayed on course with what God had directed? What if he would have inclined his heart or his eyes to him and said, God, I'm going to chase after you until my eyes are old and they can see no longer, until my breath runs out, I will follow you all the days of my life. That's the things we need to be stating. And King Solomon's fall came from building these things, these higher places, these other things, and placed it in positions higher than that of God. And the Bible is full of verses that says, there is no other gods before me. None. I am the Lord thy God, he said to the children of Israel often. Moses stated this, Aaron stated it over and over and over again. Have no other gods before me. Place me in the highest place and see what I can do. So Solomon, in all of his splendor, in all of his glory, in all of his arraignment, all these things, these possessions that he had fell apart because he gave over to other people's desires for his life more than God's desire. We have to be careful who we allow our heart to be attached to. In the New Testament, it says, don't yoke ourselves with unbelievers. So young people, teenagers, kids, Dusty says this often, tells teenagers this in youth group, don't attach yourself to an unbeliever. You'll say, well, I'll go love them, and I'm going to wrap my arms around them, and I'm just going to show them what Jesus is, and then they're going to get saved. Really? Really? You're going to be their method of salvation? If they don't get saved because of Jesus, they're not going to get saved because of you. Amen? Because the second you place yourself in that position, you're messing up. Because you're saying, I've got more power than Jesus does. Let them come to Jesus. And if some young boy comes to you, Isabel, and says, they're not saved and they're living a hellion life, guess what to tell them? 
Go find Jesus, then come see me. Amen? Is there any adults in the room that will give these kids some advice and say, go find Jesus, then come see me? Amen. And I tried to live that out, and I'm not giving you advice that I didn't live by. I grew up in church. I knew better. And when I gave my life to Jesus, I had had girlfriends galore because I was a hunk, and everybody was just chasing me around and all that. <laughs> it sounds good, don't it, Chuck? I, that sounded good. Everybody's like, man, he, I got my spend something. <laughs> yeah. Oh. But when I gave my life to Jesus, I instantaneously knew I'm, I want him more than I want anything. And I'm not a good loner. I'm just not. I never was. If I broke up with one girl, I was trying within the next week to find another girl. I didn't like being alone. I, some people are loners. I'm not. I'm not designed that way. But God had to teach me a lesson. And when I got saved, you know what I had to do, Rick? I spent five years without a girlfriend. The first five years of my salvation from 1999 till I met this young queen, I was alone. And it was tough. That wasn't easy. That wasn't anything I longed for. I didn't like it that way, but that's what God had to bring me through to get me to the point of where I'm at. Amen? He had to purify my heart over again Amen. I remember one time I was at a gas station and me and Eric Kirby was riding together. I don't know how many of you know Eric, but we went in super quick up Greenup and there's this girl in there and she was pretty and I think Eric was struck on her and I was like, you know, this pretty girl to counter every morning. We're going through there at 5.30 and here she is and beauty is fleeting. Amen. But Kirby's all, all struck and it, it he told her one day, I, I went and got my stuff, and I, I've told this before here, but maybe there's some new people here that haven't heard this before. But anyway, we'd go in there, get our biscuit, and, and uh, I'd get a sausage biscuit, put mustard on it, then I'd go over there and get one of those uh, chocolate apple pies, and then I'd get my cup of coffee, and that's an everyday thing. So as I did that, and I walked outside, Eric was already in there. He went in there and told her, after I left, that boy wants to date you. <laughs> I didn't want to date her. I didn't know her. She come out the truck, knocked on the window, left Eric in there with the cash register, I guess. I don't know. That's scary. <laughs> this happened, I promise you. And she said, he said, you want to go out on a date? I said, I only go to dates one place. She said, where's that? I said, the church. Serious. And Raceland Church was a church not like most churches, and there was 70 teenagers there in youth group at that church at that point in time. It's a big church. And I told us, if you're going anywhere with me, you're going to church. Okay. Pick me up. We'll go to church. She didn't say if she saved, not saved, whatever, but she was willing to go to church. So I said, okay, let's just go to church. Hard of church. Next thing you know, service is going on, altar call happened, it's not flying, kids all over the altar. I start looking around. She ain't there. Maybe she had went to church, not that kind of church. Amen. <laughs> Next thing you know, I start getting worried. I'm like, what's the deal? She went to the bathroom all ago, but I've not seen her since. So I told one of the girls, go in there and see if she's in the bathroom. Nobody in here. Next thing you know, service is over. We're all mingling around trying to figure out where we're going to go eat. Where's your girlfriend? I didn't get no girlfriend. Some girl come to church with me. She ain't here. So then the youth pastor's wife, imagine this, Albie, starts getting nervous. What do you mean she's not here? I don't know where she went. Then I started getting scared. What's her dad going to say when he says, last call I've got said she went to church with you, and now she's not here, where's she at? I couldn't answer. I didn't know. Come to find out, this girl walked home. Walked home. I must not have been as hot as I thought I was. <laughs> and I'm glad she did. Looking back, because she apparently didn't have the same focus that I had. 
I was going to serve God no matter what. When I gave him my life, Larry, I promise you, I said no matter what, and I meant it, that there, nothing else is coming between me and him. That's it. He's the master. He's the Lord of my life. Total control. And I'm not saying I've been perfected. I'm not saying I haven't made mistakes. I've made a lot of them. And so have you. Amen. Amen. Look to your neighbor and say, you've made some mistakes. The deal is, what are you going to do with them? You going to give them to God? You going to try to fix them yourself? Because I promise you this, when you start trying to fix your messes, you're going to mess them up more. Amen. You're going to make a mud hole out of clear water. Amen. Get you a stick, go out there and go to dilling around in a mud hole that's really calm and it's clear water and go to stirring around and see what happens. It'll muddy up the whole water. Let God do the cleansing. Give him your faults. He'll give you his son. And when he gives you his son, it covers your sins. It covers our sins. It wipes our slate clean, and that's what he's asking for. But it's so sad that King Solomon got this point where that slowly, this didn't happen instantaneously, Dusty. This was a slow, gradual purpose, that intent from the enemy. My way to get to Solomon is I got to do it a little bit at a time, one wife at a time, another wife at a time, another wife at a time, 700 of them. And Solomon had become so just engulfed in himself that he just allowed these little bitty chunks of him to be pulled away to all these other gods until the next thing you know he's not even serving God anymore how sad that he lost focus and it was little things the Bible says that the foxes spool the vines the little foxes spool the vines it's the little things Sometimes we think it's going to take some big thing to knock me out of church. No, it's going to be small, gradual, little things to where the enemy comes in and plants little seeds and they begin to sprout up out of the ground. Oh, isn't that little cute little thing growing out of the ground? Next thing you know, they come into this bush that you don't want around anymore. It's like poison ivy. makes you itch every time you're around it, right? That's what sin does. It infects our life in little stages and gets our focus away from God and on the edge. And God is asking us today, how are you going to mitigate that? How are you going to allow me to help you with that? And in this sermon series, it says, <clears throat> in this last thing, ask your congregation what type of alarm system they have in their home. Anybody got an alarm system? What, you trusting bunch? <laughs> oh well pretty good alarm system I mean that's, that ought to do it we got Jake but he can't hear anymore I come home late at night from races or something and Jake don't even know he used to come in there barking howling and carrying on he don't even know I'm in the house now so much for the guard dog nobody has an alarm system you got an alarm system Dusty at the door oh that's nice we got like the knockoff version of that. <laughs> Baloney. She says we don't have nothing right now. Every day, 15 times a day, my phone's going off. It's called quickset or something. I don't even know what it is. Front door unlocked. Two minutes later, front door locked. Back door unlocked. Back door locked. It's just over and over and over again. Every time she lets the dogs out, then Ernie comes over at lunchtime because <coughs> we're out working. And Ernie's there letting the dogs out. Unlocked. Front door unlocked. What's going on? There's these guardrails in our system that allows us to know if somebody's coming in the house. Whether it's ring, blink, whatever version you got. Who was I talked to the other day? He said, Sam Howard said he, he's got one at the driveway going up the, if you, if you take off up his lane, something rings him, tells him that somebody's coming up the driveway even. So it's not even just a, a blink or a doorbell. He knows somebody's coming up the lane or not. Put that in spiritual perspective. What's guarding your door, your heart's door? Is there anything 
that front door open something telling you when something's trying to enter that don't need to be there you know what that needs to be it's the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit Bible says cuts to the quick to the bone to the marrow to the quick and that means that the Holy Spirit can go deeper than anything he can get to the marrow of your bone that's the very center of your being and if you allow the Holy Spirit to have that guidance in your life, warn me. How many would like to have a warning when you're getting ready to fall off the edge? Or when the enemy's trying to entice you or he's trying to come in and convince you to do something you're not supposed to do. Not be like Solomon and not end on a fall, but continue on a rise throughout all of your life. And to do the things that he's called you to do. King Solomon messed up because he didn't have these alarms and these systems in place. Some of them, and it says also here that like a detector, we, we've got smoke detectors. You see one back here on the wall here? I think the batteries are out of it because it was dinging. Hopefully if there's a fire in here while we're in here, somebody will notice. But, but you need those smoke detectors, right? And they, every time, a couple times a year, they tell you, you know, to... Time change, you're supposed to check your battery's nose and make sure they're right. Because in the middle of the night when you're asleep and you're unaware, what if it happens then? What if you don't have the alarm to go off, the buzzer to go off at that point in time? Check your batteries. Amen? And if you haven't checked your batteries at time change, go home and check your batteries today. Because you need good batteries in there for what? So that it's powered to do its work. The Holy Spirit is power. Dunamis power in Acts chapter 2. Amen? Power that comes on the inside that does the impossible. That's what happens when you invite the Holy Spirit to come live on the inside of me. Be my guard. Be my guide. Be my detector that says something's going to rise. Something's too close. Get away, move, do something. Because when you have that detector there, that then you can pray. Sometimes the enemy will have us so numb to the vices that he places on us that we don't even know the mess we're fixing to get into. Amen? But the smoke detector is like that imagery of the Holy Spirit, that let it be there when you're asleep. That even in my sleep, even when I'm unconscious, basically, there's still protection. There's still a God. It's still there. And we need to ask him to come because the Bible, you know, is very clear that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. This is the way Sister Garth always told me. The Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He, he's not going to break in anybody's house. He will only come in if you will unlock the door and open the door and say, come on in. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. And unless we ask him in and invite him in, He's not coming. He's not going to knock your heart's door down and come barging in and elbowing you out of the way by invitation only. Leslie, if you'll play. And the sad part is, you know, in, in this story, and as I was thinking through like Memorial Day and how that we need to have memorials, that we, we need to think about those that, gave it all for our freedom and and we need to Bible says give honor to whom honor is due a bunch of young people took off on foreign ground to fight for our freedom and, and they deserve our thoughts and our prayers to their families and some of these are very very nearby us in, in time frame that the young gentleman up in Boyd County just a few years ago that lost his life in a helicopter and that family's still grieving. So when we say Memorial Day, it isn't about talking about something 50 years ago or 100 years ago. It's still happening. Freedom is con it's continuing to be protected by young men and women. We need to pray for those families. We need to have them on our mind.
tomorrow as Memorial Day is here. It'd be a good day to just reset and think about what's important. Because young people that lost their lives didn't have the ability to go on and do greater things because they're no longer here. And when you see the value of life, when it is no more. So if you would just join me in prayer and let's pray for those families that have lost. They've got these memories, but it's not enough because they want they want their family back. And their hearts are hurting. And Memorial Day is a big deal. Father, we ask that you come and you wrap your loving arms around the families that will be suffering tomorrow, that going through these stages of grief. And God, we thank you for our freedom. But Lord, we know it, does, it didn't come free. But these young men and women have laid down their life for our freedom. And selfishly, they joined the force and took the oath and did their duty. And it cost them everything. And Jesus, that's so symbolic of what you did that you saw a need for freedom and that you came to this earth and you gave your life for that freedom so that we could be free. God, I pray that those families to, tomorrow as they mourn the loss of their loved one, that you would just come and meet them there. And if they don't know you, Jesus, cause somebody to be in their path, cause somebody to be there, a, a Christian that would wrap their arms around them and and be present. That the Holy Spirit would hover over them and comfort them in their troublesome times. Clothe them with your loving kindness, oh God, we pray. Be there. Touch them. Minister to them as only you can. day, you know, Solomon was erecting these memorials to these other gods and how sad how sad it must have been for the children of God that were continuing in the good work of the kingdom to sit and watch this go down There were priests, there were people all over that temple that did daily work and rituals and things. And, and their king was out building other kingdoms and doing other things. All because of abomination. And he lost his focus and his sight on what was important. We all in this room today need the thing that this sermon tells us, we need that alarm. We need that voice of reasoning on the inside of us that's going to check us when we're messing up. Is there anybody that needs that? I need that. Because sometimes we can sin so much in one area or one specific vice that we just become numb to it and we don't even realize that it's even messing up any longer because we've allowed our conscience to be seared with a hot iron the Bible says 
And God wants the Holy Spirit to come in and quicken our mortal bodies, it says. Quicken. Make alive again. Renew and strengthen again this relationship with Him. So if you're ready for that and you're ready for that kind of alarm and you want that and you desire that and you're seeking that today, and this King series is not about the focusing on the fall, but it's focusing on what caused the fall so that you don't fall. We learned the story of it and the things behind it, but it's not for us to follow His path, but to learn from it. So you bow your head and close your eyes, if you will. And if you don't know Jesus today as your Lord and Savior, and I don't know everybody's heart condition, but God does. Our Heavenly Father does. He knows where you stand in relationship with Him. And you may have prayed on a lawnmower while mowing the grass. It don't have to be done here at a church. You can be saved anywhere because His presence knows no bounds. His Spirit knows no bounds. And if you've not done that, if you've never done that, that you've You've never given him your life like that I described, where that even the point of giving up on what I want and I did what he wanted. If you've never done that and you can feel his presence today and he's knocking on your heart's door and he's saying, give your life to me. Turn over your troubles to me. Turn over your mistakes to me. And I'll wipe it clean. That's who God is. That's what God does. He's the God of salvation. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The great deliverer and the soon coming king. People get ready. He's coming. And you got to be ready. If that's you in this place today and you've never given him your life, and you feel like and you sense right now and he's knocking on your heart's door and you're saying, I'm, I'm tired of the struggle. Jesus, be Lord of my life. I'll place you at the highest place, exalted above all else. Today is my day of salvation. If that's you, I just want you to lift up your hand. Anybody here? On the count of three, I just want you to lift up that, your hand if that's you. I want to give you my life. Be Lord. Three, two, one. Just lift up your hand if that's you. Today's your day. Make him the Lord of your life. Anybody here? I want him to be Lord of my life. Amen. Thank you for that hand. Anybody else? I want him to be Lord of my life. Above all else. Anybody else? There's others in the room, Christians in the room today. You've, you've prayed that prayer. You've given your life. and You've been walking around and, and you, you sense and know through this sermon today that there's been some numbness. That you know there's some things that's not right. That God's... Holy Spirit is knocking on your heart's door today about, and He's asking you, let me be your doorbell. Let me be your alarm that would cause you to continue in the freedom that you so loved at your salvation. And you want to return to that, and you want to protect that, and you want to guard that, and He's asking you today, He's asking you, are you going to allow my Holy Spirit to come in and live on the inside? and help protect you. If that's you, I want you to lift up your hand if you're saying, that's me. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that hand. You just want the Holy Spirit's protection. Thank you. Amen. 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 Thank you. Amen. Lots of hands up in this room. It's a beautiful thing. Holy Spirit, protect me, lead me, guide me. 
Jesus, we thank you so much for our salvation. There is joy in that. And God, for the ones that raise their hand for salvation, God, we pray today that as they give their life to you, they're handing it over willingly. And they're giving it you as a gift. Their life, their precious life is yours. God, come into their heart, flood their heart, not just with their emotions, but God, your spirit, make alive, anew, afresh. Make them righteous in your kingdom. And God, for those that are here today and they've asked for and they've raised their hand and they're seeking your Holy Spirit to come and lead and guide them and protect them. To be the voice of reason in circumstances that they're numb to. God, I pray, awaken our hearts. God, that we wouldn't sin against you. As King David said, hide your word in my heart so that I won't sin against you. Do that even now. Your Holy Spirit, come bring to remembrance the sermons that they've heard, the messages that they've heard, the spiritual encounters that they've had. God, bring them to remembrance through the Holy Spirit right now that quickens our mortal bodies, that makes us more like you, that would make us love once again our enemies, God, those that hurt us, that despitefully use us, that we would be like Jesus, even as they thieves on the cross, that He looked over in humility and He forgave in the midst of pain. God, bring that in this room today, that we as Christians here at the bridge would love like never before, unconditionally. That we would throw away our opinions and we would rely on Your Word to do what only it can do. Make afresh, make new, all things in Jesus' name. Everybody says, amen, amen. Thank you so much for coming out. We love you so much. Uh, make sure and be in remembrance tomorrow of those that are suffering due to the loss and remember them in your prayers tomorrow. But. You're dismissed. Love God, love people. Be a blessing to somebody this week and bring them back with you next weekend.